Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. to hear what God wants to say to us, I, I want us to really assume a posture of receiving what God desires to pour into us this morning. And so even as we pray, if you want to just hold up your hands and say, Lord, I want to be an empty vessel, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would fill me, fill me with your goodness, with your grace, with your power, so that, Lord, I may fill others. And so would you join me in a word of prayer, Lord, this morning, that truly is our heart's desire to be an empty vessel so that we may be used by you. Lord, if there is anything in our hearts, in our spirits, in our lives that feel empty, God, would you fill us this morning? Lord, maybe there are areas where we need to pour out ourselves so that something better may fill us. We're ready for that. And Lord, what we would pray is that as we spend time in your word together, that you would fill us with your grace, that you would fill us with your power, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we may pour out ourselves. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I can actually remember it was uh, a number of years ago when I was in seminary. Nicole and I spent a summer internship down in Williamson, West Virginia. Uh, That story in and of itself could fill an entire book. I mean, I am not kidding. The things that happened while we were there. uh, Our little Presbyterian church that we interned at had more people in the choir than were actually in the congregation. Um... We had Hatfields in our church of the Hatfield and McCoy feud. Uh, The the people that we met were certainly interesting along the way. Our lodging arrangements were quite interesting. And in fact, even the trip down there, we're heading down 52. You're passing through these little hollers between West Virginia and Kentucky. We're passing by towns like Crum and Kermit. I mean, who names their town Crum, right? But here we are, we're traveling down, and we finally arrived. We lived in West Williamson, Kentucky, but would have to cross the Tug Fork River every single day to get to little Williamson, West Virginia. Now, that in and of itself uh, has some stories, but there are other stories. Even how we got down there had a story in and of itself. Um, My parents, when we were back in seminary, gave us their conversion van. So this is going back to like 98, 99. And go figure, it was an Explorer van, which I had no idea until we moved here, was built just down the street from where we live. So here we are, this young married couple on our way down in this full-size conversion van, And I'm the kind of person who doesn't mind trying to push it as far as I can towards empty. Um, If you ever watch Seinfeld and you know Kramer gets a thrill out of trying to see how far down he can get his gas tank. 
I'm not, I don't mind doing that. Nicole's just the opposite. She wants to make sure that, that the tank is filled up. Now, we didn't intentionally do this, but as we're driving down, suddenly we realize we're on empty. And we're on this street. I have no idea where the next gas station is. I mean, there's no GPS units where we're going to find any of this information out. So here we are, we're burning fumes. And in fact, now we have driven miles and we are well below empty. And you can imagine, suddenly there is this panic setting in. There are some tense moments that are taking place in the car, as you can imagine. And thankfully, by the grace of God, we come around a bend and there is a gas station. You better believe we pulled up and we filled up to the top. And you better believe we would have paid twice as much as necessary per gallon of gas in order to fill all the way up to the top. Speaking of paying twice as much for gas <laughs> as we normally do, uh, if I put up a stand, kind of like a, a lemonade stand, and, uh, but I put up uh, free gas. How much of a commotion do you think that that would raise today, right? And, and if I put up a, a station, and it just said, bring your own container. If you had a chance to pull up to a station where it just said, bring a full container, if you wanted to bring a one-gallon container, a five-gallon container, a 10-gallon container, what would you bring if you could know that you would fill up your container to the very top and you wouldn't have to pay anything? My sense is that you would bring the biggest container you could find. Well, this morning, as we continue on in our sermon series on the life of Elisha, we're going to see what happens when this woman has but a small little jar of oil. And yet, by the power and provision of God, that little jar of oil begins pumping like an oil rig. And it's able to provide oil not only for her and for her family, but for everyone around. And the oil that's produced is free. So if you've brought your Bibles along, I'd love to have you open up. We're going to be spending some time together in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Now, as you're turning there, I just want to give us a, a little bit of a reminder of where we are. Throughout this series, we've been trying to remind us uh, uh, that so much of what Elisha's life is like is this learning to take these steps of faith. And we're trying to say, what are some of the things that we can learn as we study the life of Elisha? Now, there are so many stories that we could be pulling out of the Old Testament, and yet there's only four or five that we're looking at. And in week one, we spent some time looking at how Elisha had this call of faith. And we said that it was this plow-burning faith. He was willing to burn the plow to leave everything behind in order to follow after Elijah, in order to follow after God. Now in week two, we spent some time talking about how when we take these steps of faith, that sometimes we want to take a step out, but we want to keep our one foot in the safe and secure. Like we want to have these security blankets. 
And what we were saying is that in those moments when we feel like we're stepping out in faith and maybe we don't see God, we have a tendency to work in our own strength and in our own power. And we were saying we need to ask for a double portion of God's strength and of God's blessing so that we can do what he has called us to do. And then we were saying last week how we have those moments in our faith journey where, you know what, God calls us to do the work, where God calls us to step out in faith and to dig some ditches, knowing that ultimately God is going to be the one who brings the blessing. Now, there were a couple of questions that maybe came up last week, and I just wanted to make sure I answer them this morning, because some of what we're talking about this week also relates to last week. One of the questions that came up is, are we saying that God helps those who help themselves? And I want to be clear that that is not what we're talking about last week or where we're going to be this week. Ultimately, God is the one who calls us to step out in faith. God calls us to respond in faith. God is the one who brings the blessing, and God is the one who gets the glory. And so today, what I'm praying is that as we study this passage together, that God is going to speak to you, especially if you are in a place where you feel overwhelmed. I mean, if you feel like you are in a place where your spiritual tank is running low, what I'm praying is that God is going to fill you up. If you are in a place where you feel like you are ready to throw in the towel in some area or aspect of your life, if you feel like you are in a hole that you are never going to be able to dig your way out of, if you feel overwhelmed by something that's happening, maybe a mistrust in a relationship or something that's happening in your life, what I'm praying is that God is going to fill you, that God is going to minister to you in your time of need. Ultimately, if any area or aspect of your life feels like it is empty, I pray with open hands you are going to receive what God desires to do and God desires to fill you up. It is the provision of faith that we're going to be talking about together this morning. In fact, what I pray is like that little oil jar that keeps flowing, that God is going to fill you so that your life can lead to an overflow of abundance. And the thing that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again this morning, this principle that where you lack, God will provide. All right, wherever it is you feel like you lack, God is going to be the one who provides. When you don't have what you really want, what we're going to discover is that God is what you really need. I mean, think about it. What is an experience that you have had in your life where God did a whole lot, even with just a little and what is it that you learned from that experience? I mean, what are the things that you have where you say, God, you can use this, and I know that you're going to use this for your glory. What are the unimportant things that you need to empty yourself of so that God can fill you up with what matters most? 
And this is what I believe we find as we look together at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, Similar to last week, we're going to be taking this in smaller pieces as we go this morning. So if you want to keep your Bibles handy, I want to invite you to do that. Now, remember where we left off last week. You have these three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom, and they go up against this one king, the Moabites, and suddenly they discover that they have run out of water. They are going to die of thirst in the desert. They are sure that they are going to be killed then by the king of Moab. So they seek out Elisha. And what does God do? God answers them and God provides them with water. But he also gives them something that they didn't ask for, which was victory over the Moabites. Well, in the very next chapter, we read how God provides for this woman who feels as though she is at the end of her rope. She desperately needs God to show up in her life. Notice what it says in verses 1 to 2. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, let's stop right there. Let's take a look at these verses because uh, I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from it. Now, notice, certainly we don't get a, a sense, we don't know who this woman is. It doesn't give her name. But Jewish scholars think that this might be Obadiah's wife. And the reason that they think that is because if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, we learn that Obadiah hides 100 prophets, 50 each, in different caves. And of course, if you're going to be hiding them from this evil queen Jezebel, you're also having to provide for them. And so there's a good chance that perhaps he's gone through a lot of his finances in order to provide food for these other prophets. Now, of course, even if this isn't the wife of Obadiah, prophets are not known for getting rich off of their service to God. It would not be uncommon for a prophet and his family to be struggling financially. They're living off of the generosity of others. That So often they might be on the run for their lives. And so for many prophets, it was difficult to make ends meet. So here you have a widow who is feeling like she is at the very end of her rope. And we're going to assume that she's younger because it says that she has boys, right? So imagine this is a, a young woman, maybe in her 30s, maybe in her 40s, and we know now that she's lost her husband. And in those days, there's no sense of women just kind of breaking the glass ceiling, right? I mean, if your spouse dies you are in a lot of trouble, which is why family and extended family becomes important. So you can imagine, here's a woman, she is in a dark place. She's lost 
her husband. It's obvious they have debts because creditors have now arrived to say that we're going to take your sons and use them as slaves, which seems crazy to us. But notice, in those days, this was not uncommon. Your children would actually be sold into slavery to either pay off the debt or until the year of Jubilee arrives and debts are forgiven and slaves are sent free. You think about it, it's kind of crazy when you and I complain about the Wi-Fi going out, right? Like, or when you have to wait at a stoplight too long, or, you know, the, the waiter or the waitress screws up your order at the restaurant, or you don't get enough dressing. I mean, there's things that happen. This lady can't pay her bills. She's about to lose her son. Now, this is not to say that you and I don't experience difficulty and hardships in life. For some of you, you may be experiencing extreme health complications for some, it may be the medical bills are beginning to pile up. For you, maybe you feel like you're never going to be able to dig your way out of it. For some of you, maybe it, you feel like your marriage is just barely hanging on. And you're like, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this together. Maybe for some of you, it's your children or your grandchildren and some of the choices that they're making. And you don't want to see them end up getting hurt somewhere along the way down the road. I mean, somehow, maybe for some of you, there just seems to be a future that seems so uncertain. Now, Compared to what the widow is going through, maybe what you're going through is relatively minor, but of course we know that never matters. It's your stuff. It's your pain. It's what you're going through. And what I pray as we look at this story together this morning is that if there is some area of your life that feels broken or feels empty, that you're going to discover that it's God who is going to fill you. Where you lack, God is going to provide. By the way, just as a few aside, I've got a few of those this morning. This passage reminds us that just because you're godly doesn't mean that you're going to be free from a life of hardship and pain. Right? This is a prophet's family. They've lived their entire life in service to God and in service to others, and now they've lost their husband. They've lost a father. They've lost what it means to be able to provide for themselves. You may feel as though you are doing everything right, where you are trying to honor God with your life. But what we know is that bad things still happen to people who are doing good. Now notice, she wasn't bitter. And she wasn't even angry. We don't see a sense where she's blaming God for what happens to her. Actually, if you look at this, she doesn't even seem to blame her creditors for coming after her. She simply states, this is what's wrong, and this is what I need. She doesn't hold it in. She doesn't try to do it on her own. She says, Elisha, I need your help, and I know that you have a relationship with God, so Elisha, God, would you help me? Now, notice, by the way, what happens when Elisha finds out what she needs. He doesn't just quick pull out a handful of shekels and hand them to her. He doesn't try to gather all of the people to gather a collection for her. He doesn't even say something like, well, I'll pray for you, right? Some of those meaningless platitudes. Notice, what does he say? How 
can I help you? He asks, how can I help you? Beloved people, again, as a, as a quick aside, this is just a reminder. If you want to make a difference in the world, you've got to start by saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. God, I am available and willing to be your divine representative. God, use me to minister to the people around me. If somebody comes to you and tells you that they have a problem, be available and be willing to minister to them. Now, at the end of verse 2, notice what he says. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Isn't it interesting when you're struggling and when you're hurting, all you see is what you don't have instead of what blessings God has given you that you do have. How many of you have ever been in a place where you get down and you get depressed and you look around and you end up focusing on what you don't have? Um, I just share this as a little story. Uh, years ago, again, back when Nicole and I were, I was in seminary, I was away on a trip, and it was during the middle of winter. The whole seminary was gone, and there was a snowstorm, like two feet of snow. Uh, Nicole could not get out of the house at all. And she tells the story when we get home that she just, she's like, I just don't have any food in the house. And so she's talking to her parents, and her parents on the phone said, well, check your cupboards. Do you have peanut butter? Yeah. I mean, do you have, like, canned tuna? Yeah, you know, but in those moments, you feel like there's nothing here for me to eat at all. Yet when you open your cupboards, you realize, okay, there actually is more here than I would let on and think. But this is what happens. You and I understand this. When, we, when our backs are up against it, we focus on what we don't have. And this is exactly where this poor woman is. She's lost everything, and all she can see is what she lacks but what she needed to realize and what we need to realize is that God is all we need. Now, this is not to say that when you're starving, my telling you God is all you really need is not going to fill your stomach, right? You, you understand that when you meet someone with a physical illness, telling them, well, God is all you need, it, it feels like a meaningless platitude. But here's what I want us to understand, that if God is what we need, then God can work with what we have. So often we see this application in Scripture. God can work with what we have. When you and I have a need, the reality is that God uses what we have. It's the provision of faith. In verse 2, what we discover is this woman has just a little bit of olive oil. It's not very much, but it's a little. And what we discover is that God can use it. Now, we might not think of olive oil as having much value. You and I, we can go to the store, we can buy olive oil pretty cheaply if you actually want to. But you have to understand, in those days... Olive oil was actually valuable. It had all kinds of different uses. Uses. It was used as cooking, 
right? It was used to help lamps burn. It was used as a lotion. I mean, you couldn't just call up your Mary Kay representative. You know, you couldn't just go down to the local Bath and Body Works. They would use olive oil as a moisturizer, right? They would use it to keep leather pliable. They would put it on tools so that they wouldn't rust. It was used in religious services. So olive oil actually had a lot of uses, and it was valuable. And while she didn't have a lot of it, she had a little. And I'm so thankful that God can do a lot with a little. In fact, we see this principle at work in Scripture over and over again. When the people are wandering in the desert and they can't provide for themselves, God provides manna. Just enough for that day, not enough for more. It was just a little, but God provided. When they needed water from a rock, God provided it. We see this. Jesus takes a little bit of water in his first miracle, and he turns it into wine. We see when there are these 5,000 people that are following after Jesus, and he says, well, feed them. And this little boy says, I don't have a lot. I've only got five loaves and two fishes. It's just a little. But God used it. And there was more than enough. In fact, 12 basketfuls left over. And so notice, by the way, what it says in verses 3 to 4. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now, it seems kind of strange here. I mean, if, if you're thinking about this, they're told to go and to get a bunch of jars. And in a sense, the prophet is telling them, I know you have just a little bit, but I want you to take that, that little bit, and I actually want you to empty it all out. So you feel empty now, but guess what? I actually want you to empty that little bit out. And I want you to go around and grab all of the empty jars of the people around you. And I want you to go and lock yourself away in your house behind the door with your sons, who, by the way, their own lives are about to be emptied out as slaves. And he says, look at what I'm going to do. God is going to provide and give you what you need and more. I love that people know this. This is not some, like, magic trick. This isn't something where, you know, you, you go to the stores and they have that, like, that beer mug with that can that seems to be there and it looks like it's never, you know, you plug it in, it looks like it's never emptying out. I mean, this is not what we're talking about here. Notice, she follows the instructions exactly, and what happens is that God provides. Notice, by the way, what it says in verses 5 to 7. It says, She left him, and they shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And so they bring these jars in. As they're bringing them in, she keeps pouring. And then it says, When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. So she's pouring out, and as she's pouring out, they're bringing more jars in. And then what happened? But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now, by the way, do you think if 
the, the widow and her sons knew that the oil wouldn't stop flowing so long as there were jars to be filled, do you think that they would have gone and found more jars? Because what we find is if there were more jars, God would have filled them. If there were less jars, God would have filled those. It's not unlike last week, right? However deep the ditches were dug was how much water there was going to be. I mean, if those guys had dug just a little trench, that's how much water there was going to be. If they had dug deep enough for a lake, that's how much water there would have been. Now, I don't want to infer too much from this passage here, but it does make me think about where are areas in our life where we settle for less than the abundance that God wants to provide. I think what we see in this passage is that the more we empty ourselves, the more God fills it. In fact, as I wrote that, I thought, ooh, that's a good line. And then I went and I just, I just Googled it. I thought, wow, has anybody else said that? And um, I'm not the first. In fact, I, I found this. It was Mother Teresa. She, she said it first. It says, the more we empty ourselves, the more room we give God to fill us. I didn't come up with it, but it's true nonetheless. God specializes at pouring out his Holy Spirit into empty people. And we see this all throughout Scripture. People who thought that they were too old, people who thought that they were too young, people who thought that they were too insignificant and were just simply overlooked by God. What we find is that when you say, Lord, here I am, send me, God can use you. Because notice, Elisha does not say to her, go and get a specific kind of jar. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if it was a perfume jar. It wouldn't matter if it was a peanut butter jar, right? It wouldn't have mattered if it was like a milk jug. The point is, if it's there, I'm going to be able to fill it. This is the miraculous provision of God. Notice, by the way, what it says in verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Again, she offered what little she had. She emptied out herself and trusted in God to provide for her. And God not only gave her what she needed, he gave her even more than what she asked for. And isn't that just like God? What does Philippians 4.19 say? And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You and I have everything that we could need because of the glory and the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. We have hope for this life. We have hope for the life to come. We know that we are not alone as we walk this earth because Jesus Christ is with us. But where does this hope all begin? In John 4, 13 to 14, it says, Jesus answered, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them uh, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I can give you water so that you will never be thirsty again. And when we empty ourselves of our sin, our pride, our arrogance, our greed, when we come before God and completely empty ourselves, that's when Jesus Christ fills us. And we say, Jesus, I need you. And when we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden that emptiness has now been filled with something new. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we will never be empty again. And what we discover is that all of the things that we wanted on earth, Jesus Christ was all we ever really needed. And Jesus is enough. He is sufficient in every way. When you are weak, he is strong. When, when you're hurting, it's Jesus who's your comforter. When you're lost, he is your guide. When you're hungry, he is the bread of life. When you're thirsty, he is the living water. When you feel as though life is unstable, he is the rock upon which you can stand. God's provision for you is always abundant. And so what do we do with the riches of God? What are we to do with the living water that springs up and overflows to eternal life? Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And it says that even though we face hardship and persecution, and even though we're pressed in on every side, that we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus Christ so that he may be revealed in us. We are these jars of clay that have been filled up so that we can be emptied out again. This passage reminds me that God cares about the homeless. He cares about the fatherless. He cares about the widow. He cares about the poor and the opposed and the weak and the needy. And if you are in that category, you need to know that God helps you. He is the help of the helpless. God can help you. And as you empty yourself of what you need, you need to understand that God will fill you up and God will provide. And this morning, if you are in a place where you have already been filled, then I pray that out of the abundance and the riches of God's mercy, that you are going to empty yourself and pour into the life of someone else. I believe in faith that God turns emptiness into provision. 
John Piper says this, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. That's the provision of faith. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, perhaps we have come to you and our hearts weigh heavily. Lord, there is some need, some lack in our lives, and we pray, Lord, that with outstretched hands, would you fill us? Lord, we would pray that if there is some area where we need to turn over to you to say, Lord, this is a sin pattern in my life, this is something, Lord, where I am struggling, that as we empty ourselves of that and we say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life, would you make me new, that indeed you fill us up. And then, Lord, what we would pray is that this overflow in our lives, the provision that you have given us, Lord, would we now be the ones who in turn provide for someone else? Or we say, Lord, here I am, send me, that we would come alongside of people in their time of need, that we would be filled up knowing, Lord, that we will be emptied again. Lord, not to a place where we would be fully empty, because, Lord, to trust that you are always filling us up with what we need. And, Lord, in all of these things, we would pray that we would give honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you indeed are a God who provides. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.